in Milan saw Real Madrid defeat Atletico in the UEFA Champions League final for the second time in three seasons. Cristiano Ronaldo scores the winning penalty for Real Madrid. It's their day yet again. UEFA Champions League winners for an 11th time. More than anybody else. This season's group stage draw sends Pep Guardiola and Manchester City back to the Camp Nou. And Rakitic has lifted it over Johan and into the back of the net. And Barcelona have strengthened their grip on the tie. Neymar could be in here. It's one-on-one -on -one against Melbourne. Neuer, can he make it three? You bet he can. Pep Guardiola turns round. Solemn-faced and heads for the dugout. In our comprehensive group stage preview, you'll hear Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo talk about Real Madrid's quest to win back-to-back -back titles and from Antoine Griezmann, whose Atletico side faced fellow heavyweights Bayern. That's all to come, and don't forget you can hear all the UEFA Champions League action throughout the season with us here on Match Day Live. Yes, join us from 19.30 Central European time on every night of the UEFA Champions League on the official app or via the Match Centre on UEFA.com from your desktop or mobile device. And through the season, we'd love you to get in touch with your thoughts and opinions at Champions League on Twitter. Use the hashtag MatchDayLive. And before the show, we tweeted this question, who do you think will win uh, this season's competition and why? Dion says Juventus because of the signings they've made add to the mixture of young talent and experience, which can produce the goods. And Amir says Bayern, because of their squad depth filled with world-class players and Ancelotti being no stranger to winning the big one. Uh, I'm Rob Daly, and over the course of the show, we'll bring you the full preview of this year's UEFA Champions League group stage. Alongside me, UEFA.com's European football expert Andy Brassel. Andy, delighted to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And Match Day Live commentator Richard Kaufman as well. Richard, hello. Hi, great to be here. Uh, Andy, very exciting uh, season in store. Real Madrid, of course, the defending champions, but it's very open once again, you'd imagine. As it is always, and you know, you look at the returning teams, I think, in the UEFA Champions League this season. Napoli, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who a lot of people like the look of coming in for a second successive season, and Tottenham Hotspur back in it too. Okay, before we take a look at all eight of the UEFA Champions League groups, here's a quick reminder of how the trophy was won one last season. Strap yourselves in, it's going to be quite a ride, I suspect, tonight at San Siro. Swung into a great area, and it's been turned in, and it's Sergio Ramos, the scourge of Atletic in 2014. He's got the opener in the 2016 UEFA Champions League final. Playing it about quickly here, Atletic Griezmann into the air for Torres, who goes down, penalty, penalty to Atletic. Less than a minute into the second half. Griezmann stood unmoved, hands on his hips to the right of the ball. Now he makes his move up. He hits it left-footed and it's off the crossbar and bounces to safety. Juanfran's continued his run. Great ball in! Equaliser! It's Carrasco who's levelled the game. It's an equaliser for Atletico. It is game on here in Milan. There is the full-time whistle. It will be penalties to decide the 2016 UEFA Champions League final. Juan Fran now for Atletico. Oh, he's hit the post! Real Madrid celebrate! It's the first miss of the shootout. It is Ronaldo to win it for Real Madrid. The man for the big occasion. Cristiano Ronaldo scores the winning penalty for Real Madrid. It's their day yet again. UEFA Champions League winners 
for an 11th time, more than anybody else. And this year, it is Real Madrid. They are the 2016 UEFA Champions League winners. As the white confetti blows into the air, the white ribbons on the famous trophy, lifted by Sergio Ramos. Real Madrid's 11th triumph uh, in the competition. Uh, we'll talk about Real Madrid winning it, Andy, in a moment. But tough on Atletico. Uh, they had their big spell in the game as well, but denied by their city rivals again. They did. It's amazing to think that they came even more close, probably, than they did in, in, in 2014 in, in Lisbon. But, you know, we've seen that Atletico and Diego Simeone really have the capacity to come back from this sort of disappointment. So I think you would fancy them again. And I think Antoine Griezmann's comments afterwards about his missed penalty, that if he was doing it again, he would do it in exactly the same way that he had no regrets, I think shows the sort of mentality they have. And with the strengthening they've made, you have to think there'll be a major contender again. Uh, well, Real Madrid's next challenge is to become the first club to win back-to-back -back UEFA Champions League titles. Here's Gareth Bale. It's obviously a massive motivation for us, for us all to be the first team to retain the Champions League. Obviously, for me personally, the, the game's in Cardiff, in my home city. So, um, yeah, all round, it's a, a very important season for us. We, we want to try and retain our title and, uh, and make history. Well, Richard, many people thought that Barcelona could do it potentially last season, defend their title. But I think every year the competition shows how difficult it is to win back-to-back -back trophies. It will happen. And as you can see, there's there's motivation for the team that are the defending champions, that they could be the history makers. Of course, there's a possibility Real Madrid could be that team for the 2016-17 season. My feeling is that there will be a different name on the trophy. You know, you've got six, seven, maybe even eight teams that will probably feel they've got a really good chance of winning the UEFA Champions League. So no real surprise then that given that, the team that defends the title really have great work to come away with the trophy again. Well, there's certainly pressure from the Real Madrid president, Florentino Perez, on the new season says, we always have the target of winning everything. I think we've improved the squad this year and we have a coach who suits Real Madrid really well. So for him, everything is easy. He knows we have to win the UEFA Champions League, La Liga and the Copa del Rey. So no pressure, Zizou, of course. He's already claimed some silverware with Real Madrid this season after a comeback victory against Sevilla uh, in the UEFA Super Cup. Uh, plenty more on Real Madrid and indeed Sevilla next, coming in our detailed preview of the UEFA Champions League group stage. Since it began in 1992, the UEFA Champions League has produced some of the greatest matches in the history of the game. Watch highlights of some of the best by heading to the dedicated history section on UEFA.com. So it should be another fantastic season in the UEFA Champions League with plenty of great matches to look forward to. So let's start uh, by looking at Group A, gents. It is Paris Saint-Germain of France, Arsenal, Basel from Switzerland, and Luda Goritz. Andy, are the French side the outstanding team in the group for you going in as champions? Yeah, I think they have to be. You know, you look at their history in the last couple of years in the competition, three successive quarterfinals, and, you know, they probably should have gone further in each one of those years. Of course, a big change this season was Latan Ibrahimovic uh, moving on, which uh, provides a, a void of sorts. But there was the feeling, I think, last season that Paris were becoming more collective anyway. Ibrahimovic almost morphed into more of an orthodox number nine. He scored a lot of goals in the penalty box last season, 38 in Ligue 1, but only six from outside the box, which is quite unusual for him. Angel Di Maria is a huge part of that and he's still there. Of course, they have Edinson Cavani to move into the centre, but Atem Ben Arfa's played a little bit of early season at centre forward. Uh, Jeze's come in. They've got so many options. And of course, they have the experience uh, of winning a UEFA club competition, of winning several UEFA club competitions in the new coach, Unai 
memory. Yeah, they've made great signings, but are you surprised that there hasn't been a, a big-name marquee number nine coming in? I mean, Hatem Bonhoeffer, as you, as you said, has played in that position a mm. bit so far this season. Well, perhaps, but I, I think Cavani has been looking towards that place, coveting that centre-forward place for a, a very long time. We've seen him score goals for, for Napoli and for Paris in the UEFA Champions League. And as I say, I think the collectivity of, of, of Paris Saint-Germain is becoming their strength. And Unai Emery is the perfect coach with his tactical knowledge to take advantage of that. Uh, last year, knocked out by English opposition in Manchester City, uh, Richard, in the quarterfinals. Uh, they will face Arsenal in their group. And Arsenal, once again, because they're not top seeds, find themselves, you know, probably second favourites to win the group. Yeah, I agree with what Andy's saying, Paris Saint-Germain, the team to beat. It's, it's a fascinating group. There is an outsider, Luda Goritz, the Bulgarian side, obviously going to be the team everyone expects to finish fourth. But... There's no guarantee of the top two as far as I'm concerned. Basel are an interesting equation as well to bring in. But Arsenal, it's kind of as if they're stuck in this UEFA Champions League groundhog day. Every year, they somehow manage to finish second in the group, even though last year, of course, that didn't look a certainty very much until the very last match. And they get a, a Bayern München or a, a Barcelona in the last 16. And it's goodbye to Arsene Wenger, his side. So it's going to be interesting to see the way it actually does pan out. Have they done enough in the transfer market for you in terms of signing Granit Xhaka, Lucas Perez and Mustafi from Valencia to improve on that round of 16 placing that seems to get them every season? Personally speaking, no, I don't think they have. I, I don't expect them to make the quarterfinals. It's interesting hearing uh, Richard talk about Basel. I always think the St. Jakob Park is one of the underrated atmospheres in the UEFA Champions League. And Urs Fisker has managed to make some good signings, uh, the Basel coach, in the summer. You know, you think of Sedu Dumbia, who scored goals for Fisker in this competition before. Uh, he's come in. They've managed to hold on to Lucas Zufi. They've managed to hold on to Berke Bjarnason, who was outstanding for Iceland during UEFA Euro 2016. So I, I agree with Richard. I think Basel could have something to say in this. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Thomas Watzlick, who's the goalkeeper of Basel, did an interview in one of the Swiss papers at the weekend and he was asked, does he have the most boring job in football because no <laughs> shots come his way? I think when it comes to the UEFA Champions League facing Paris Saint-Germain and Arsenal and Luda Goritz, he might be a little bit busier than he is in the Swiss League. Uh, they did lose uh, Brilin Bolo. Uh, he's departed for Schalke, so that's a loss to an extent. Um, but as, for sure, as you said, Andy, says he's happy with the group. They come up against former players Jacket and El Nenny uh, in the group stage as well. But what about Ludogorets here? Because this is a side who, who we did see in the competition a couple of years ago and do relatively well. Yeah, and of, of course they, they beat Basel in Sofia before, uh, as you say, in the return leg, Brilin Bolo made his presence felt. He, he scored a, his first UEFA Champions League goal in the 4-0 winner over Ludogorets and he was back in school the next morning. Um, <laughs> they've got a little bit more experience this time, even though they'll miss him. But I, I think for that reason, Basel know not to take Ludogorets lightly and you know that they, they made it difficult for Liverpool out in Bulgaria Absolutely. as well before they came back and, and won that game so not to be taken lightly okay so on match day one Paris Saint-Germain host Arsenal what a great start on Tuesday the 13th of September while Ludogorets will go to St. Jakob Park to face Basel guys who's uh, who's getting through this group then for me it's going to be Paris Saint-Germain, and I'm going to, early on in the proceedings here, stick my neck on the block and say Basel will finish second. I like it. I'm not going to share your bravery. I'm going to go uh, Paris, Arsenal, Basel to finish in third. OK, uh, let's move on to Group B now. Benfica, Napoli, Dinamo, Kiev and Besiktas make the section. So it's a group containing three domestic champions and one runner-up from a, a top European league. We don't see that too often uh, in the competition. Uh, start with Napoli, 
Andy, and, and a lot of these teams, uh, including the Italian side, have, have arguably lost their best player. Yes, that's right. And it, it, I think it's good to start with Napoli, Rob, because they're the runner-up. They've lost their, their best player and you know the best goal scorer in, in Europe last season in Gonzalo Higuain, who, of course, went to Juventus. But they're still probably the favourites for the group, I think. They've spent well to replace Higuain. They're, they've got in uh, Arcadius Milik, who is still a developing young player, but has made a good start to the Serie A season. And I think it's easy to forget, we talked about Paris Saint-Germain and collective effort. That is what uh, Maurizio Sarri brought into Napoli when he arrived from Empoli. And I, I think that was one of the things that enabled Higuain to have such a successful season. The chances they create and the, the service they get. Um, Lorenzo Insigne, of course, is a real son of the soil there at the San Paolo. He, he is someone who uh, had a best ever season and he's still there. You look at the quality throughout that team, the, the attacking animation throughout that team, and, and Milik is going to get plenty of chances. Uh, Richard, you, you would have seen a lot of Milik at Ajax last season. Is, this is going to be a big step up for him, surely? Yeah, it's interesting because at, at Ajax, it took him a, a little while. He always scored goals, but he never really always had the faith of the Ajax coach. De Boer was never necessarily a fan straight away. He took a little while before saying, yes, you are my number one striker. And what I've seen for him, I mean, it's going to be hard for anyone to fill the boots of Gonzalo Higuain, you know, 36 goals in Serie A and, and more in Europe elsewhere. For Milik, that's going to be a lot of pressure. He, he did hit the ground running at the weekend, so fair play to the guy. But I think it's more than that. I think all the money didn't just go on Milik. It went on a number of different players. And I think maybe Napoli, obviously they were focused on Higuain and his goals. Maybe now they've got other outlets and, and a greater substance and depth to their team that might allow them to, to progress further in the UEFA Champions League. They've lost a great player, but I think they still are red-hot favourites to win this group. Benfica, we're talking about key players departing. Uh, Renato Sanchez uh, leaving for Bayern. Is that... As big a loss as, as people might think it is? I think you can argue it is. I mean, he's the player who played the most minutes of any outfield player in Portugal last season. And not by a little, but by a lot. He played over 4,000 minutes across all the competitions, including, of course, the UEFA Youth League, because he, he started the season um, as an only 18-year-old. So um, his influence is enormous. Of course, we can't forget Nico Gaetan, who's uh, gone to Atleti and uh, was the joint top assists holder in, in the Portuguese Liga last season. Um, so it's a, a gap to fill. But they have held on to Jonas, who scored a, a lot of goals last season. They've permanently signed uh, Kostas Mitroglu, who was a great foil for him. And, you know, they've, they've signed well as well. Andre Horta, I think, is going to be really someone to watch in, in midfield. The teenager's got lots of craft and lots of industry as well. And so it's still a very energetic Benfica team. And you think of the atmosphere there at the Estadio Sport de Lisboa Benfica. And, you know, it's going to be the same at San Paolo. It's going to be the same in, in, in Kiev and Istanbul and that fantastic new Bajiktas Stadium on the banks of the Bosphorus is, is going to be one of uh, the must-see sites of the UEFA Champions League this season. And I understand as well, well, they have extensive Wi-Fi coverage now in that stadium. It's so modern, <laughs> which from a commentator's perspective That's a dream, is, isn't it? is UEFA Champions League anthem music to my ears. <laughs> uh, let's uh, talk about Dinamo Kiev. Uh, they'll start against Napoli. Uh, Sergei Rebrov, their head coach, says everyone in this group has a chance of reaching the knockout stage and he hopes his players understand that. And Richard, with good reason, because uh, they did pretty well last season, the Ukrainian champions. Well, they made the last 16. They they lost to Manchester City, of course. Uh, and it'd be interesting, we'll talk about City a little later under Pep Guardiola. But for Sergei Rebrov, you know, they've had that experience. You could say the same about Benfica, who were only just edged out by Bayern as well. So there's a lot mm. of experience 
in this group. I think we both feel Napoli are the team to beat in terms of the top spot, but who's going to finish second? That's, a, I think, a tougher question. Well, I feel with Besiktas that it's obvious they've got the infrastructure, they've got the quality, they've got one of the most experienced coaches in the competition in Senor Gunes. But I just think the loss of Mario Gomez and Jose Sosa at the same time is, is quite hard to make up for. You think of the quality coming in in, in Gurkhan Inla, who's got tremendous experience, Vincent Abubakar, uh, those are good things. But I just feel with Benfica, there's a little bit more stability, which may give them the edge eventually in the group. OK, that brings us nicely to predictions. Match day one, Dinamo Kiev will host Napoli. Benfica against Besiktas on Tuesday the 13th of September is going through. Andy, you can start because Richard put his neck on the line uh, with Group A. Napoli, Benfica, Besiktas in third and Dinamo Kiev last, which just shows the strength of the group. We're even getting UEFA Europa League places now uh, from Andy in terms of predictions. Richard, you? Yeah, Napoli and Benfica, top two for me. Uh, I might swap with Andy in terms of third and fourth if we're going to, you know, just differ it. But uh, it's going to be a tight group. As I say, I expect Napoli to be the dominant team in that group. Second place, even though, you know, I've gone with Benfica, I'm not totally convinced. Group C, and what a group it is as well. Barcelona, Manchester City, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Celtic. Richard, there's no doubt in in this great group, the standout tie is Barcelona against Manchester City because Pep Guardiola has taken over at the English club. Well, obviously, it's, it's a big talking point. Pep Guardiola, four wonderful years in charge as coach of Barcelona, never mind, you know, what he did as a player there as well. The match mid-October, of course, when Pep goes back to the camp, new, but it's not the first time he's done it. Of course, he did it as buying coach there about 16 months ago and uh, not the result he wanted that day. They lost by three goals to nil. Guardiola is obviously a focal point. He's now taken over at Manchester City. Manchester City did progress last season. Of course, in the UEFA Champions League, made the knockout stages for the first time. But here's a coach who I think something like in the last seven seasons has made at least the semi-finals of the UEFA Champions League, whether he's been at Bayern or Barcelona. I think the fact that he knows German football so well, Borussia Mönchengladbach, the fact that he knows Barcelona so well, I'm not sure whether that's going to add to the pressure for Manchester City, whether that's such a positive thing for him. But it's going to be a wonderful match. Some terrific teams in this group, some really interesting matchups. And of course, Barcelona against Manchester City is going to be one of the big matches in the group stages, whichever group we're looking at. I think he'll he'll welcome this meeting. I really do, because as you say, it's, it's not the first time he's going back to the Camp Nou, but it's very important in the sense that so much of the improvement that he will be expected to deliver to Manchester City and some of the improvement that's already been suggested with Manchester City in the English Premier League is an aesthetic improvement. That's so much of what he did for, for Bayern over the last three years. There will always be people who say, well, he didn't win the UEFA Champions League while he was at the Fußball Arena München, but I don't think that that matters that much to people who who saw Bayern over those three years and, and regulars who go and watch Bayern every week because really it's about the fact that he created a, a Bayern style of play. That's the reason he was brought in and that's the main reason he was brought in at Manchester City. In a sense, it will be very hard for him to match what happened last season with Manuel Pellegrini leaving them on a UEFA Champions League semi-final, which was, of course, a, a club record. But the, the fact is he will be expected to provide a certain style with Manchester City. And, and, and that is something that will be directly measured against Barcelona. So why not play them from the off? Why not show how far he's gone already? How he defines City in the big matches is how a large part of his success at, at the City 
city of Manchester Stadium will be judged. So it's, it's a great place to start. Well, let's look at the business that both clubs have done before talking about uh, Gladbach and Celtic. City have brought in the likes of John Stones, Ilkay Gundogan, Nolito, uh, Leroy Sané and Claudio Bravo from Barcelona. Barca have made many deals themselves, including Samuel and Tite, Andre Gomez, Jasper Sillison as backup goalkeeper, you'd imagine, Paco Alcacer and Lucas Digne. Uh, Andy, who's done the better business for you out of the two clubs? Barcelona, I think, in terms of immediate improvement, you, you look at what they've got and the Catalan fans have already really taken to Samuel Mtiti, for example. Luca Din was outstanding last season for Roma and provides genuine competition for Jordi Alba, which is, is no mean feat. And Paco Alcacer is such a, an unselfish player. He's terrific backup for the MSN trio. And that was always going to be something that was really hard to do, mm. to get someone top quality who was prepared to back up three of the best forwards in, in world football. But, you know, we're yet to see Ilkay Gundion because he's yet to get fit. And I do think as well that Nolito could be one of the under the radar signings. You know, it's not always about getting the, the biggest players, but getting the players that are going to suit your system the best. And of course, he's someone who knows Pep Guardiola so well from the Barcelona B team. Last year, of course, Barcelona lost Messi for a little bit of the group stages. They seem to do perfectly well without him, of course. But you just felt towards those latter stages of the competition that... Obviously, there was an obligation, given their form, given the kind of players they were, that Messi, Suarez and Neymar had to be starting every game. And they were doing that in the Spanish Championship. They were doing that in the UEFA Champions League. And you just wondered whether they were tiring slightly. And Paco Alcacer, you just wonder when he will slot in. But you get the feeling that when he does, he will very much fit the mould that Barcelona have and the way that attacking Trident have played before. I think that's a really important signing for Barcelona to have someone of that ilk who will be able to slot in and it will allow Luis Enrique from time to time to say, OK, listen, I know last season I played you every game, but this time round, we're going to have to maybe conserve a little bit of energy so that we can be peaking when it really matters towards the silverware time of the year. Yeah, going to be interesting to see uh, how Luis Enrique rotates that squad. Uh, City drawn with Gladbach uh, for the second season uh, running. Gladbach have lost Granit Xhaka to Arsenal and Harvard Norvite to West Ham. But we've seen from the playoffs as well, Richard, that they, they still look like a very strong prospect indeed. Fourth in the Bundesliga last season. Interestingly, I think they were closer to the bottom than they were to the top because of the way Bayern just ran away with things. They are going to be a strong proposition. But again, you look at these teams and you look at Celtic as well. They're not going to be easy places to go to. You know, we know Celtic historically have beaten Barcelona at home. You look at the squads and they don't really match up. Those two sides, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Celtic up against Manchester City's and Barcelona, but I don't think either of them feel that they're necessarily going to be in this group just to make up the numbers. Gladbach did beat Bayer Leverkusen on the opening weekend of the Bundesliga season, a much better start than last year, Andy. Yes, absolutely, and I think it's fair to say their, their coach, Andre Schubert, who was surprised to, to get the job when Lucien Favre, who was the outstanding coach in the Bundesliga the season before, walked, will be a lot more settled and a lot more prepared this time, and I think there were really fine margins in that. Of course, Schubert had just got the job when they welcomed Manchester City to Borussia Park in the, in the second game last season and they were really close to beating them as well. They made it difficult for City in both games and, you know, Gladbach, even though they finished fourth in the group, weren't a million miles away from qualifying. No. They, they, they were really, really good in that UEFA Champions League group and I can see them taking points off Barcelona or Manchester City at some point in this season even if you can't see them going the full way. I think they're a little bit more mature. I think Torgan Azar, who of course scored a hat-trick in the second leg against Young Boys, is someone who will have an influence on this group. The fact that they've got the best possible 
possible substitute really for Granite Xhaka in, in Christoph Kramer, who's uh, someone who knows the club very well from his, his previous loan spell. Gladbach are, are going to have an influence on this group. And when you play Manchester City, when you play Barcelona, there's no pressure on these players. This is an occasion for them to rise to, to enjoy. And you never know, you become a, a huge story. You make a name for yourself. Uh, well, Celtic know what it's like to beat Barcelona in the UEFA Champions League, but a lot has changed uh, since those days under Neil Lennon. Um, what do we make to Celtic's prospects of getting through the group? It will be very hard. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. They couldn't have drawn three much harder teams than Barcelona, Manchester City and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Having said that, Celtic are traditionally strong at home in the UEFA Champions League and that's where the problem lies as well. There's always a, a huge division between their, their home form and their away form in UEFA club competition. Brendan Rodgers does have that extra know-how and to get them through three rounds to get here in, in the group stages is an achievement in itself but uh, to get third place in a UEFA Europa League spot would already I think be a huge achievement Predictions coming in for this group as well uh, Mr Oriol believes that Barcelona will win the competition says great new signings which add depth and let's not forget of course MSN John meanwhile says Manchester City can win the competition because they have the best manager in the world On match day one it is Barcelona hosting Celtic Manchester City welcome Borussia Mönchengladbach to England's northwest. Who are the two sides coming through this group? Andy. I have a sense that me and Richard are going to agree on this one. Uh, Barcelona to win it. Manchester City runners-up. Gladbach third. Celtic fourth. Can't disagree. Yeah, It's hard to see any other outcome in this group. You never know. This is football. This is sport. This is why we watch it. And we do get the odd upset. But I think if it doesn't finish like that, that will be probably the biggest upset in the group stages. Uh, from one great group to another. Group D, Bayern, Atletico, PSV Eindhoven and Rostov of Russia. So a very interesting group here, in particular for Atletico, who know uh, two of the sides they're facing. Uh, very well but let's start by talking about Bayern uh, Richard new man in charge we were talking about Guardiola before Carlo Ancelotti replaces him uh, what do you think we're going to see from Bayern under a man who of course has won this competition as, as a manager well I think we're going to see a very strong Bayern it wasn't too bad a start to the season was it 6-0 <laughs> Lewandowski hat trick it's business as usual they were treble winners before Pep Guardiola arrived and they're contenders now he's left and in Carlo Ancelotti they've got such a proven man at the helm this time round they've made some really good signings Renato Sanchez who we'll talk about a little bit more later on Mats Hummels in defence there's a score to be settled. I think Thomas Muller's said that. Of course, Atletico beat them in the semi-finals last season. So there's there's huge incentive in the group. I think there's huge incentive for the players as a whole to go on and try and win this competition. I think they're going to be one of the teams to beat. Andy, they may have a more settled formation as well this season under Ancelotti. <laughs> It is fair to say you're going to know what you're going to get with Bayern under Ancelotti. And, you know, people in Germany, um, fans and media alike have speculated that maybe a slight drop in intensity will allow Bayern to express themselves a little more. What we do know we're going to get under Ancelotti is an attacking team because that's what he likes to do. They're going to be fiercely competitive, especially at home again. And, you know, I think if you look back, as Richard was saying about score settling, I can't think of many more unlucky UEFA Champions League losing semi-finalists than Bayern last season. You know, we can talk about how Pep Guardiola didn't win a UEFA Champions League title. They were so, so unlucky in that semi-final. They couldn't have done much more. And I can't think of any teams in world football who could have resisted Bayern München like Atletico did in that <laughs> semi-final second leg. It was a, a sterling effort from both ends. And that really was the game 
of the UEFA Champions League last season for me. Bayern already have silverware. They beat Dortmund in the uh, German Super Cup 2-0. Carlo Ancelotti, meanwhile, says that they'll have to be on their toes in the group because he knows that Atletico eliminated Bayern last season. Rostov caused a surprise with that victory of Ajax and that PSV Eindhoven only narrowly lost to Atletico in a shootout last season. Uh, speaking of Atletico, their star player from last season was, of course, Antoine Griezmann, who loves being part of this competition. It's a dream for me. I used to watch it on TV and say that I wanted to play in it one day. It's a different competition. It makes you dream. And even now, as a player, you want to play in the UEFA Champions League every week. I hope we'll go at least as far again this season. Well, only two points uh, from their opening two games in Spain for Atletico, already losing ground on Barcelona and Real Madrid. But they've made crucial signings, including Nico Gaetan, a player we've already talked about, and Kevin Gamero as well, Richard. Do you think he'll be able to challenge Griezmann for a, a starting place or will it be a front two? What do you think we might see from them? You would be surprised, wouldn't you, if it was a front two, but you know, it gives options. With Atletico Madrid, you look at the players they're signing and, of course, Kevin Gamero is an excellent player. But you kind of never worry because everyone's going to have this spirit that Diego Simeone somehow manages to foster within his group. You know Atletico Madrid are going to be there or thereabouts, knocking on the door in the quarterfinal, semi-final stage. So unlucky, of course, not to have won the competition in two of the last three finals. Atletico Madrid are going to be a tough nut to crack. They're not going to be a team you want to play against. And it's not going to be any different in the coming season. Richard's right. Their personality intrinsically is is not going to change. But when you look at Atletico's achievements over the last two or three or, or even four years, if you go back to the UEFA Europa League win under Diego Simeone, it's, it's about tiny improvements because they don't really need to improve that much to go all the way. I think Gamero is a, is a great pickup. He's uh, the top striker they were looking for. He knows how to score goals in La Liga and at the top level of UEFA club competition. I think it will take some of the pressure off Griezmann man and Fernando Torres who of course is is staying there as well but I think the real key signing for me is Nico Gaitan from Benfica someone who can pick the lock in midfield you felt at times they were a little bit over cautious perhaps last season and to have that little bit of extra craft in midfield is, is something that's really going to help them. How difficult is it going to be for them to play out hear the anthem again after the heartbreak of what happened in the final last season because it hurt them and it, and it certainly hurt Diego Simeone. It, it did, but it did in, in, in 2014. And this time they've got a little bit more stability. I, I think that really helps. We've seen the personality of Griezmann to pick himself up again. Um, he's going to be able to do that after UEFA Euro 2016. Of course, he was arguably the outstanding player in that tournament as well. So the quality is not in question. The mentality's uh, not in question. And they've got so much in common with with Bayern, perhaps not in, in, a, in the way they play the game, but in the sense that they are fully focused on this competition, perhaps even above domestic matters. Uh, so Atletico uh, will take on PSV Eindhoven in their opening game. PSV, the Dutch champions, finished two points above Ajax last season. They have lost centre-back Jeffrey Brumer to Wolfsburg. Uh, they've signed Daniel Schwab from Stuttgart, relegated in Germany last season and eliminated only on penalties uh, by Atletico in the round of 16 uh, last season of the competition. And finally making up the group, Richard, it is Rostov, competition debutants, and the nearly champions of Russia from last season, pipped to that title by uh, Sieska Moskva. 
It's an incredible story and an incredible story that keeps going on. Uh, people may remember Kerben Berdiev, the, the coach. He was the man in charge of Ruben Kazan, the one that was holding his uh, beads very tightly on the sidelines. Some memorable wins for him in the UEFA Champions League, particularly, I think, against Barcelona. And he took a club, really, that was small in Russia and made them a big side. And he's kind of doing the same to Rostov. And he took them, as you say, within the brink, you know, onto the final day of the season. Only denied by... Uh, Siska uh, would have been as unlikely a story, I think it's fair to say, as Leicester City. But is Berdiev going to be in charge when the UEFA Champions League does get underway? He signed a new contract in June, quit just before they beat Anderlecht in the uh, UEFA Champions League. Uh, he was looking as if he was going to take over at Spartak. That collapsed. And uh, then he took over again, it seems, when they took on Ajax in an incredible victory, a 4-1 win as well. It's not 100% that he will stay, but if he does, I think they could have a lot of fun in southern Russia. They kind of grew into the UEFA Champions League football. They looked very nervous at the start of that first leg against Anderlecht. The thing they were so good at doing last season in the Russian Premier League, defending well, was something they forgot to do against Anderlecht. But then they went and provided a brilliant away performance. And, you know, you have to think when you talk about the success with Rubin before, two of Berdiev's touchstones there, uh, Cesar Navas and Christian Loboa, mm -hmm. were players who became very, very important in those two playoffs against Anderlecht and against uh, Ajax, where he scored the clinching goal. I, I think... Uh, a real key for them is losing um, Bastos, their the key defender from last season, who, of course, went on to Lazio as well. But I think when you look at the depth of this group, you look at them and you, you look at PSV Eindhoven as well, because you look at uh, Philip Koku, who, who has been outstanding. He was kind of overshadowed by uh, Frank de Boer for a, a large part of the last two seasons in the Eredivisie. But, you know, he had the drop on him in the last two seasons. So I think you have to give Koku an enormous amount of credit and say he's one of the rising coaches in, in European football too. Uh, on match day one, Tuesday the 13th, of September, Bayern host Rostov. What a start uh, for the Russian side. PSV Eindhoven welcome Atletico to the Netherlands. Rostov midfielder Alexander Yurokin says, we believe Rostov won't finish bottom of the group. So what do you guys think? How's, uh, how's Group D going to finish up? Atletico, Bayern, PSV, Rostov. Wow, Atletico to win the group from Andy. Disagree. Firmly disagree. I think Bayern are going to win this group. Atletico will finish second. Who finishes third and fourth? If Berdiev stays in charge of Rostov, they'll finish third uh, and it'll be reversed, of course, with the other scenario. Uh, moving on to another Russian club, Sieska Moskva are in Group E uh, as the top-seeded side, along with Bayer Leverkusen, Tottenham Hotspur and Monaco. Richard, on paper, uh, this just might be the most even group of the whole group stage. Spurs, fantastic. The last time they played in the competition, although it was a few years ago, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Roger Schmidt's side, I think a potential Bundesliga winners, if they can push Bayern, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned. Siska now, of course, with Leonard Slitsky, very focused on them, no longer the coach of the Russian national side as well. And then you've got Monaco, who have had this amazing August, off to a flying start in league. And, and uh, you've got four potential teams here that could all feel they've got a chance of making the last 16. Uh, well, Leonard Slutsky says his side never get an easy draw. He feels they've got the strongest teams from pot three and four in Spurs and Monaco. Uh, Ahmed Moussa leaving for Leicester is a big loss for Siska and they, they seem to be struggling for goals domestically at the moment, Andy. Yeah, and I, I think you have to say that is something that puts them at a huge disadvantage in that group. 
as Richard was saying, Monaco have had a, a terrific start to the season and um, they, they've done it domestically so far without Falcao. And in the early uh, rounds of the UEFA Champions League qualifiers, especially against Fenerbahce, that was something that looked really promising for them. The partnership between Falcao and uh, Valais-Germain, who scored so many goals in Ligue 1 for Nice last season and, and came back and immediately there was a click between them. And that's interesting because Falcao has never looked great in a 4-4-2 before and that's something that um, could push Monaco on. Their defence looks really good. They've reinforced well with uh, Kamel Glick, who had an excellent UEFA Euro 2016 with Poland coming into the team as well. Fabinho now established as their new defensive anchor. And for me, the, the real key to this group is the pairing between uh, Leverkusen and, and Tottenham. Two sides who have very demanding young coaches in Smith and Pochettino. And they're two very energetic teams. I mean, I think those two games in, in northern Germany and, and north London are, are going to be really, really exciting. But it's interesting... From a Tottenham perspective, the fact that they're playing their matches at Wembley Stadium, the National mm. Stadium, and not at White Hart Lane, which is being redeveloped. I know Arsenal did this previously, and they found it a little tough to deal with because, you know, first of all, the opposition players, the Leverkusen, Siska, and the Monica players have got a chance to play at Wembley, which, you know, might lift them slightly. And, and again, Tottenham aren't necessarily at home. It's not their home ground. And I think that they might find that tough. I suppose the redeveloped Wembley is a little closer to the pitch, uh, which I, I think might make a, a, a little bit of a difference in terms of atmosphere, but you're right. White Hart Lane is such an incredible asset to Tottenham and those UEFA club competition nights at White Hart Lane are, are undeniably special. Are they too reliant on two England stars, if you like, in Deli Alley and Harry Kane, who were unbelievably good last season? Well, obviously two very talented players. I, I think it'll be a little unfair on the rest of the Spurs squads. You know, you'd think of Christian Eriksen and Moussa Dembele, who I think actually is the key player for Tottenham. He's been missing at the start of the season and he provides a spark. He's got that ability to ghost past players. So as important as Harry Kane's goals are, as important as Deli Ali's runs and his distribution is, I think Dembele is a very important player and Eriksen is a hugely big talent. They've added Wanyama, they've added Vincent Janssen, not necessarily marquee signings, but players that will certainly add to the depth of a squad which showed last season in the English Premier League at least, they were title contenders. I don't expect them to be UEFA Champions League contenders, but they will feel they'll have a, a good chance of getting out of this group. Leverkusen have done some interesting business as well. Christoph Kramer, going back to Gladbach, as we have mentioned, they've brought in uh, Baumgartlinger from Mainz, Kevin Folland uh, from Hoffenheim, and Alexander Dragovic uh, from Dinamo Kiev, along with Danny DaCosta returning to the club. Finished third last season, and Leverkusen start against Siska Moskva. Spurs host Monaco at Wembley, uh, as we mentioned on the first uh, Wednesday match day one as well. Who's getting through this group? Do we think Spurs will be one of the two into the round of 16? I think Leverkusen top, Tottenham second, Monaco third, Siska fourth. Just to be different, I will go... <laughs> you don't have to be different. You can be I, the same as Andy. I, I could. It's, I've got, it's three of, out of four, really, between Spurs, Leverkusen, Mon Monaco to win the group, in which case, obviously, I'll start at the bottom and say Siska will finish bottom of the group. I've got a feeling Monaco are going to get through. I will say Leverkusen and Monaco to get through. This is UEFA Champions League Match Day Live's uh, group stage preview with me, Rob Daly, Andy Brassel and Richard Kaufman. Uh, let's turn our attention to Group F now. Uh, what a section this is. Real Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, a Sporting Club de Portugal and Legia Fashava. Let's start with the competition's all-time top scorer, Cristiano Ronaldo, with Real Madrid hoping to become the first team to retain the UEFA Champions League. 
It's a challenge and I think we have a chance to win it again. We know it's a very difficult competition, very difficult, but nothing is easy, so we'll try. We'll take it match by match and think first about the group stage, as in my opinion it's a strong group. And then we'll take it step by step and see what the competition gives us. But we'll think positively, believing that it's possible to win it again. It's special to draw sporting again. They have a good team, they have a good coach, and it will be another beautiful moment in my life. We've played Borussia Dortmund in this competition before and lost. We know they're a very difficult team, especially on their pitch, as they've got fantastic fans. I've never played Legia and, to be honest, I don't know much about their team. So it will be a new experience, a beautiful experience. But I hope there won't be any surprises and that we can win both matches too. Cristiano Ronaldo there, he will face his former club Sporting uh, on match day one of the UEFA Champions League. Won't be the first time he's played them, uh, but what a special occasion it will be. And it matched up with Borussia Dortmund uh, again, Andy. And, and from recent years, that's been one of the classic matches in the UEFA Champions League. Yes, it really has. And I'm sure it's something that Thomas Tuchel will be excited about taking up. It's always a, a tremendous atmosphere at Westfalen and it'll be no exception for that, I'm sure. But Sporting are not to be written off in this group. You know, there are who are known for producing fantastic young players. There's a tremendous history of that at the club with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Luis Figo, Simao and some other players that aren't wingers. And, you know, <laughs> this generation is, is no exception. So um, they will be very, very excited about that in the Portuguese capital. And, of course, Legia, the first Polish side to qualify for the UEFA Champions League group stage in 20 years. It's some achievement. Yes, yeah, certainly is. Uh, beating Dundalk of Ireland uh, in the playoff round as well. Uh, Sporting have brought in Bastos from Wolfsburg, but they've seen big names to pass, including uh, João Mario, who's moved to Internazionale. But to Real Madrid, uh, Richard, they come in as, as defending champions. They haven't done big business, especially this summer, to strengthen what is, of course, already a very strong squad. Yeah, and we heard earlier, didn't we, uh, Zindan under... <laughs> the pressure of having to win every match, every competition, every bit of silverware that's on offer. You look at this group, though, and you have to say it's a group you'd expect them, as they do on an annual basis, to qualify from. The biggest contenders to challenge them for that top spot, of course, will be Borussia Dortmund. You've mentioned they've had some wonderful matchups over the year. Of course, for Cristiano Ronaldo, personally, the sporting match will be a big one. But Dortmund, you know, back after a one-year absence, you wonder when Jurgen Klopp left how big a hole that would be. But I think Thomas Tuchel has, has filled in that hole fantastically well. Very good first season in charge. They've lost some big-name players. I mean, Henrik Mkhitaryan in particular. So many goals, so many assists. Matt Hummels at the back. But they, they raked in a lot of money and, and they've strengthened the squad, would you say, pretty well, Andy? Yeah, they have. I mean, they're the biggest spenders in the Bundesliga this summer. And you have to say as well, you talked about Tuchel making a huge impact in his, his first season. You could argue this is a, a little bit more his squad. He's had the chance to shape it a little bit with without some of those experienced players. It's a, a young team, but a very adaptable team. And he really uh, rates that versatility. And I suppose a, an obvious one being uh, the UEFA Euro 2016 champion, uh, Rafael Guerrero, who can play left back, left midfield. Then you've got uh, Usman Dembele, very exciting teenager who's come across from Rennes and has just got his first call up to the, the France team. And I think in that sense, them keeping Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been 
been really important. He's a sort of big brother figure to him. They both speak French, of course, and he's helped Dembélé adapt very, very quickly. And of course, André Schürrle has made a tremendous impact at the start of the Bundesliga season. So many attacking options that we haven't even got to Mario Goetze yet. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I, I We're obviously going to do the predictions. I expect them to come second in this group, Borussia Dortmund. I think they could be one of those teams to avoid in the last 16. I think they could be very dangerous. Uh, well, Thomas Tuchel has even said that matches against Real Madrid are becoming like derbies uh, for Borussia Dortmund. So it will be very exciting when those two sides meet again. Dortmund eliminated in the UEFA Europa League last season at the quarterfinal stage, of course, by Liverpool, who went on to reach the final. You, you mentioned him quickly there, Mario Goethe, Andy. Let's, let's talk about Goethe. What is his role going to be in the Dortmund team? When he was there, he was so central to everything. And since then, Dortmund have, have moved on. They have, and he'll, he'll be playing catch-up a little bit because there are so many players who can pick up the slack. The interesting thing in pre-season and at the start of the domestic season is that Usman Dembele already is, seems to have established himself. He's playing like he's he's been at Dortmund for years. So it will be a battle between the two good friends in Schürrle and, and, and Goetze yes. for a place. And, of course, Marco Royce, who's been injured at the start of the season. He's in the mix as well. Uh, Emre Moore, uh, the Turkish teenager, has looked very, very interesting when he's come in. I think a, another key signing for them, and, of course, he'll be really interested in coming face-to-face -face with Real Madrid, is Mark Bartra. I think he's a terrific replacement for Mats Hummels. If you're a Dortmund centre-back playing alongside Socrates, you've got to be able to pass the ball. And he's someone who can really do that. And you know what? He's got great long passing, very much like Gerard Piquet, and can launch attacks himself too. You know that Real Madrid aren't going to lose their level. You know they're going to be UEFA Champions League contenders. But you're just mentioning it there about Borussia Dortmund, questioning whether Goetze and Royce were getting the starting eleven, And that just shows you how positive it is right now for Borussia Dortmund. And Real Madrid have got Alvaro Morata back to add a little bit of competition up front mm, yes. uh, to Karim Benzema. Um, Richard... Legivarshava, tell us a little bit about the Polish side because um, one of my most notable stats, their first group stage appearance in 21 seasons. Yeah, the first Polish side in, in 20 years, as Andy was saying. You wouldn't expect them to make a mark. They just squeezed through in the playoff against Dundalk, who were a little unfortunate themselves not to be uh, the first uh, Irish side into the group stages. You look at how they performed last season in the Europa League. And I've got to say, I haven't really, of course, seen much of them to know the intricacies of their squad and their side. But the fact they won just one in their six games in the group stages last season, you'd be surprised if they did get the one win, given the quality of the teams they are facing here as well. Match day one fixtures on Wednesday, the 14th of September. Real Madrid hosts Sporting. Dortmund will go to Legia. Uh, who's getting through? Richard, you start with this one, please. Well, the last group I had no real strong feelings. This one, I think I'm pretty <laughs> confident. How and Real Madrid first, Dortmund second, Sporting Lisbon third and Legia bottom of the group. I just think Real Madrid won't quite be full throttle until we get to the knockout stages. So Dortmund, Real Madrid, Sporting, Legia. OK, let's move on to Group G now. Very interesting group indeed and one we're excited to talk about because it does include the surprise English champions Leicester City along with Porto, Club Brugge and Copenhagen. Andy, in terms of Leicester trying to get out of the group, could the draw have been 
Much better for Claudio Ranieri. No, it looks very, very good indeed. And, uh, of course, uh, Ranieri is always keen to downplay his side's chances. Uh, that's what he does. And then you can't promises... get to 40 points in the UEFA Champions League group stage, <laughs> can you? That's very true. And he always promises a bit of fight and, and, and battle with it. Um, but I, I think they'll be pleased. On the other hand, I, I think it's important to note that all the three other teams in Leicester's group do have far superior UEFA club competition experience to them. So You think that, that does have a factor? Yeah, and it, it has to be. I realise Porto are rebuilding a little bit under Nuno Espirito Santo, but also they did brilliantly to get here, knocking out them. the much-fancied Roma, who, of course, um, ended uh, the second leg at a numerical disadvantage, but still Porto showed cool heads to take advantage of that. And with a far stronger Portuguese core than they, they've had in the, in the past, I, I think they're a, a team to watch out for. A couple of tweets from Gary Lineker around the time of the UEFA Champions League draw. He said, Leicester City are in pot one, still sublimely bonkers. And then he said after, not sure you could pick a better draw for Leicester City. Uh, Richard, what have you made to Leicester's business and how they've gone about things this summer as well ahead of their group stage debut? Well, if I could just pick up on what Gary Lineker is saying, they're not sure you could pick a better draw for Leicester City. In some respect, I actually disagree because if I'm a Leicester City fan, which I'm not... Well, you want those big games. Is you this are, what you're there's, saying? There's not, well, I mean, listen, Porto, former UEFA Champions League winners, but it's not a glamour tie in there, is it? But the incentive is there is a possibility they can make the knockout stages and then the glamour ties are going to come thick and fast. They've done relatively well to keep a lot of their star players. And Golo Kante departed for Chelsea, but aside from that... Well, that's a big miss, isn't it? But... I think that they're going to perform very well. And I think their style of football will suit playing UEFA Champions League. They'll be able to use the counter-attacking possibilities that they showed winning the English Premier League in such amazing style last season. I think they've got a really good chance to qualify, which, you know, if I'd have said that to you 12 months ago, we'd be having this conversation. <laughs> you think Leicester City are going to make the last 16 of the UEFA Champions League. You'd have thought I was absolutely bonkers. But yeah, I think they have a chance. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it, of UEFA Champions League football, of adapting to a completely different environment. And that's going to be the challenge for them because you talked about them, Richard, on, on the counter-attack. That's something I could see coming into play if they were to get to the last 16. Against these sides especially at home, they will be expected to make the play more, which is going to be a different challenge for them. That's where Riyad Mahrez is, is going to come in. I suppose the plus for them is that they have lost Kante, which is huge, but they've got a very, very good replacement in Nampalis Mendy, but they're going to have to figure out different ways of playing. Yeah, but they, they, you know, they've signed Armand Musa as well. They've got a, a little bit more attacking options up there for them as well. There's a great confidence and a camaraderie, and I think they might pick up more points away from home than they Maybe. would at home. I feel like we could talk about Leicester for a long time, but we have to move on to the other teams uh, in the group. Let's talk about Club Brugge, who are in the section as well. Um, Andy, they haven't enjoyed great times in this competition in recent years. Their last group stage appearance back in 2005-06, but they do have history in terms of this competition. Yeah, they certainly do. And uh, Michel Prudhomme is making his own history. You know, he's, he's someone who can end barren runs in Belgian football. He did it before with Standard Liège. And, and now he's he's done it with Brugge, which is a tremendous achievement. He's a really underrated coach in the European game, some really interesting experience. And he's got an experienced side as well. They haven't really come up strongly in UEFA club competition over the last couple of seasons. This is a really good opportunity for them. And uh, in the group as well, Coben Harvin. I know you took your three-year-old 
to a Copenhagen game recently. I did, and they'll be wanting him to come back because uh, <laughs> they, they won 6-0 against Crusaders on that night. So uh, it could be a lucky omen for them. I, I think, again, you look at uh, their European experience, which is is very, very important. Uh, Stella Solbakken has, has been here before. He's led them to some great uh, results in the UEFA Champions League. And I think the real plus for them, of course, they lost their captain, Thomas Delaney, who was really important, especially in the playoffs against Apoel. But he won't go to Werder Bremen until the new year. So they do get to keep him for the group stages, which I think is crucial. His passing yeah. ability is key. Absolutely. And Copenhagen will start with the test against Porto. Uh, Richard, how do you fancy Porto getting on in this competition? As you mentioned, that they have won it before. Yeah, I mean, this is a club that's used to winning title after title in Portugal. And that's not been the way, has it, the last few years? I think they'd be very happy with the draw. In fact, I think if you asked the coach of each club here, I think they'd all be pretty happy <laughs> with the draw, which makes it a really interesting group to watch how it pans out. We all have our instincts about it, but there's still no certainty about it. Club Brugge host Leicester uh, on match day one on Wednesday, the 14th of September. It's Porto Copenhagen uh, from Portugal. Andy? Porto to win it, Leicester to finish runners-up, Copenhagen in third and Club Brugge in fourth. Richard smiling. Yeah, because I, I like to obviously say something different to Andy, but I'm going to agree with him <laughs> on this one. I do think Porto and Leicester will be the two teams to come through. OK, let's move on to our final group. Group H, it is Juventus, Sevilla, Olympique Lyonnais and Dinamo Zagreb from Croatia. Juve and Sevilla are meeting in the group stage for the second season in succession. You may remember the Juve won 2-0 at home, but lost away at Sevilla on match day six, and it was a defeat which cost them a top spot in the group, crucially, with Manchester City, Andy. And you could argue, even more crucially, it gave Sevilla the platform to defend their UEFA Europa League title, which brought them back here because their league finish wouldn't have, have done that. Of course, Juventus are in incredibly stable and have added to their their, their great strength in, in bringing in um, the two best players from their competitors in uh, Gonzalo Higuain and Miralem Pjanic. But with Sevilla, it's, it's all change. I think they're the side that's most difficult to predict in this UEFA Champions League because they have a coach in Jorge Sampaoli who's completely different from a philosophy perspective uh, to his predecessor Unai Emery he's brought in a, a load of new players of, of higher quality his first six signings were all midfielders so I, th I think we know where the focus is going to be in that team and the atmosphere at the Sanchez Pijuan is always incredible so this is going to be a great tie to kick off the group between Juventus and Sevilla Josh Brailsford has tweeted in using the hashtag Match day live. He believes that Juventus can win the competition. He says they've made solid signings in the summer with the experience as well of Danny Alves, who comes in from Barcelona. They could do it, I think. Yeah, can I pick up on that? Because I, I, you know, I mentioned I think right at the start that there were seven or eight teams, and this was one of the teams that I was thinking of amongst those seven or eight. I think Juventus, they do have a chance. There's no doubt about it. The quality of those two signings, Panic and Iguain. They're going to add to a team that was already pretty strong. Got off to a great start. Sammy Kadira has got a couple of goals early this season as well. You look through that squad, a lot of experience at this level. There'll be a, a squad who will kick off the UEFA Champions League campaign believing they can go all the way to the final. And you, you look at that substitutes bench when they, they won at Lazio at the end of August and Higuain was on the bench, Pjanic was on the bench and didn't come off it. And, and, and they still won with some comfort. And, you know, to be stronger, having lost Paul Pogba is, is just an extraordinary situation. Well, Andy, I was going to ask you about that squad changer and taking players off their competitors because they were pushed for a long time last season, particularly after their poor start. Would, mm. would alleviating pressure domestically by, you know, having a more commanding lead at the top of the table 
give them better chances in the latter stages of this competition. Yes, I think so. And, you know, they've put so much energy into this competition. You know, we, we talked about great tyres in last season's UEFA Champions League. There were a few better uh, than their doubleheader against Bayern. And again, I think in most seasons, if you went from a final to going out in the last 16, you would think that was a failure. That wasn't the, the sense around Juventus at all. It wasn't a sense that they'd wasted their season. They were unlucky to go out and they made a huge contribution to the UEFA Champions League last season. So I guess the extra players are the ones that will help you make the difference, that will give you a little bit more energy at the end of those those really big ties when they face them again. Dinamo Zagreb were in pot four for this draw. Richard, how do they get to the group stage? Well, thanks to an extra time winner in the, in the playoff against uh, Salzburg. Uh, wonderful for them to get through. You would say they're the weakest side in the group. I think picking up on Andy saying severe kind of, they feel like a bit of an unknown quantity given, you know, what's happened there over the last uh, couple of months. But, you know, Zagreb are going to find it tough because, you know, here we got a Juventus team that are pretty strong. A Leon side, I don't know, depends on Lacazette. I mean, he's going to be a, a key figure for them in the season coming, got off to a, a really good start to the campaign. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for Zagreb. But, you know, when you get a winner in uh, extra time to get through to the group stages, it is a case of being delighted to be there and everything else is a bonus. Uh, looking to uh, defend their title in Croatia. They're two points behind Rijeka uh, in the top flight, winning five of their opening seven. Andy, what shape are Leon in uh, going into this competition? Uh, far better shape than they were at this point last season. I, I think they would have looked at last season's uh, UEFA Champions League group stage and thought that was a, a group we were pretty happy with and, and, and finished in fourth place. So uh, a big improvement is needed. But I think the main change from last year is, of course, they're bringing UEFA Champions League football to their new stadium, the Park Olympic which since moving in at the start of 2016, it was uh, one of the, the best grounds, the most atmospheric grounds in UEFA Euro 2016. They, they haven't lost there. You know, it gives them enormous confidence. The, the young players who've grown up around the club, like Corentin Tolisso, like the, the aforementioned Lacazette, like Nabil Fekir, it means a lot to them to play there. And I think they'll be very, very difficult to beat at home. But I, I think the centrepiece of this group, assuming that Juventus are the strongest, those two games between uh, Sevilla and Olympic Lyonnais are going to be really interesting two really attacking, exciting sides. So Juve start against Sevilla on match day one, Wednesday the 14th of September. Dinamo Zagreb go to Lyon's brand new home. Uh, how's this group panning out, Richard, the final one? Yeah, Andy just mentioned it. They're going to be cracking matches, aren't they? Lyon against Sevilla. I'll edge it with Lyon. So Juve for me, Lyon in second, Sevilla third, Zagreb in fourth. Same. Juve, Lyon, Sevilla, to defend their <laughs> to defend UEFA, UEFA, UEFA League title again <laughs> and Dinamo Zagreb in fourth. Even though you have to say Dinamo Zagreb have got tremendous experience in this competition, they have lost a key player in Marco Roche. So that's groups A to H. Next, we'll hear more from the best of the best in last season's UEFA Champions League. Dizemos não ao racismo. Nein zum Rassismus. Nein til racismo. Nein de racismo. No to racism. No al racismo. Cristiano Ronaldo, Manuel Neuer, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Arjen Robben, Gareth Bale and Lionel Messi are just a few of the UEFA Champions League stars saying no to racism. European football united against racism. Respect. You're listening to UEFA Champions League Match Day Live. Now, the UEFA Best Player Awards for last season were announced at the group stage draw. There was a shortlist of three for both the men's and women's prizes. 
with some of the continent's leading journalists making the final decision. After winning both the UEFA Champions League and UEFA Euro 2016 in the space of a few months, it was no surprise when a certain Real Madrid and Portugal star picked up the prize in Monaco. The man for the big occasion, Cristiano Ronaldo, scores the winning penalty for Real Madrid. It's their day yet again. Ronaldo's made his move, it's Ronaldo. Ronaldo got over 70% of the votes, a worthy winner after a golden season when he scored 54 goals for club and country. It's the second time he's won the award and he was understandably delighted. After the season we had at Real Madrid and what we did with the Portugal national team, I think it was an unforgettable year both individually and collectively. Obviously you always want another trophy, but it always feels like it's the first one. I'm really happy and it's a huge honour to be the best player in Europe last season. I want to thank my teammates at Real Madrid and with the national team too, because of course without them you can't win individual trophies. After losing in the final of both the UEFA Champions League and UEFA Euro 2016 to Ronaldo, Antoine Griezmann finished second with Gareth Bale third. The Real Madrid and Wales forward admit it will be difficult to better the last 12 months. Um, yeah, it ranks right up there. I think uh, it's been an incredible, uh, incredible last season, especially uh, topping it off with, uh, by winning the Champions League and then going on to the Euros and, and doing an amazing job with Wales. So, um, yeah, two, uh, two great moments uh, in, in my life, in my career, and uh, ones I'll never forget. Having helped Lyon win the UEFA Women's Champions League, Norway's Arda Hegerberg won the Women's Award, France star Amandine Henri was second, and Germany's Jennifer Marijan was third. Congratulations then to Arda Hegerberg and Cristiano Ronaldo. Richard, uh, given uh, Ronaldo's achievements not just for club but for country, was it a surprise for you that he, he went on to win that accolade? No, most deserving for a player. I, I remember... Many years ago now, I was uh, on holiday and there was a, a pre-season match between Manchester United and Sporting Lisbon. And normally I wouldn't pay too much attention, but there's this young kid called Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> who was just taking the mickey out of the Manchester United defence. And in fact, I actually managed to talk to Rio Ferdinand about that night. And they all went into the dressing room at half-time and they said, we've got to sign this guy, we've got to sign this guy. <laughs> and Sir Alex Ferguson, I think, said, don't worry, it's all in hand. You know, to fulfil that promise takes dedication and it takes, you know, a real level of uh, mental and physical capacity. And Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved great things, not just through his talent. And, you know, he's 31 now. Is he going to lose his pace? Is he going to lose anything? I don't think so. Not not yet, just yet anyway. So I think we've still got a, a good few more years to enjoy that talent. And winning the Women's Award as well, Ada Hagerberg. Andy, it seems that Leon are so central to all the major accolades in women's football at the moment on the continent. Yeah, if you look at the other two contenders uh, for the best player title, it was uh, Amadine Henri, who's just left Leon, and uh, Jennifer Marajan, who's just coming in. So <laughs> that, that shows you Leon's strength in depth. But uh, Ada Hagerberg, the, the player she is already at 21, is extraordinary. You know, she had a, a huge influence in the winning the UEFA Women's Champions League last season, and she sort of took over the role of top dog in the, in the team from 
from uh, Lotte Schelling, who's, who's left now. And, um, you know, there's the sense that th this team's getting younger, you know, so they've got many more years of, of domination to come and, and she's going to be a huge part of that. Plenty more about those awards on UEFA.com. Uh, it's now time to talk transfers on the podcast in a moment. Guys, we'll ask for your most eye-catching moves by Europe's top clubs this summer. But here's the deal that caught the eye of UEFA Champions League ambassador, Ruud van Nistelrooy. My player to watch in this year's Champions League campaign will be Vincent Janssen at uh, Tottenham Hotspur. I think uh, he made a great transfer to Spurs and he is a very, very talented striker. So looking forward to see him in the Champions League. Well, if Ruud van Nistelrooy is giving you the thumbs up, you're probably quite good. It'll be interesting to see how much game time Vincent Janssen gets uh, at Spurs this season and in the UEFA Champions League. Uh, Richard Andy, uh, time for your top signings of the, the summer window. Richard, let's start with you. Who, what's caught your eye? Well, I want to go for, for two young players who I think have got the potential. We talked about Ronaldo being the talent and fulfilling that talent. Can these two players fulfil their talent? One is Renato Sanchez, who, who made the move, of course, to Bayern from Benfica. I mean, how do you better the last 12 months? You make your debut for your club and you end up winning the league, being a European Championship winner and being the difference for your club as well. We mentioned earlier that he's going to be a big miss for Benfica. And then there's a player called John Stones, who this time last year was going through all sorts of transfer speculation while he was at Everton. Would he go to Chelsea? His club form dipped. His manager, who said he's the best English centre-half since Bobby Moore. You know, Roberto Martinez spoke that highly, yet he didn't play him every week at points during the season. Now he's gone to Manchester City and now he's got a different kind of, uh, of manager in charge. And how does he adapt to playing UEFA Champions League football for the first time as well? So a lot of questions about both those players, but I feel they are two players who we're going to say in 10 years' time are stalwarts of UEFA Champions League football. Two very exciting talents. For me, I'm, I'm going to pick two from the same group, actually. Um, Miralem Pjanic of Juventus, who's been one of the outstanding midfielders in Serie A for the last couple of seasons. Maybe has a little bit more room to breathe in that midfield with the departure of uh, Paul Pogba. Exceptional from set pieces, a, a wonderful last passer. This is the point where he becomes recognised, I think, as, as one of the best midfielders in Europe. And I'm going to go for another midfielder as well from Sevilla, Franco Vasquez and you know, talking of Juventus, we can talk about Paolo Dybala and how outstanding he was in his debut season in Turin. If it wasn't for Franco Vasquez, a lot less people might have heard about him because he supplied so many of the, the final passes for Dybala while uh, they were at Palermo together. Now Vasquez has got the chance to breathe by himself. Great official debut in the UEFA Super Cup in Trondheim for Sevilla, um, where he scored that fantastic goal, of course. He is going to be a key player for San Paoli Sevilla. And, you know, they're one of the sides I'm really looking forward to watching this season's UEFA Champions League. And don't forget, you can play fantasy football uh, on UEFA.com as well this season for the UEFA Champions League. You thought I was putting you on the spot with that question. How about the next one? Who's going to win uh, the competition? We need a team and why. Richard's thinking long and hard. Andy, do you want to go first with this on you? You seem primed to answer. Atletico, third time lucky. No, really? I think so. Oof. Massive call, Richard. I'm going to go for FC Bayern München. Ah. Uh, I just feel Carlo Ancelotti will just get them clicking in the right manner. I think they will be a really hard team to beat. I mean, it, as you say, it's neck on the block. So many choices, but we have to say one team. So I'm going to go with Bayern. And they're from the same group, Group D. So you think the winner's coming from Group D. That's mm -hmm. all we have time for. 
Uh, remember, you won't miss any uh, UEFA Champions League action on Match Day Live. You can tune in on the official app or via the Match Centre on UEFA.com, on your desktop or mobile on every night of football in the competition. We have four fantastic feature games on Match Day 1, including Paris Saint-Germain versus Arsenal, on Tuesday the 13th of September and defending champions Real Madrid against Sporting on Wednesday the 14th of September. It's sure to be an enthralling start, so make sure you join us from 19.30 Central European time on both those days and through the competition. But for now, from Richard Kaufman, Andy Brassel and myself, Rob Daly, it's goodbye. You've been listening to UEFA Champions League Matchday Live.